You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. Well, let me just ask you to do this. This is not necessarily what the message is about. Let me ask you to make this a New Year's resolution. Come and be part of the 21 days of prayer. It's an easy resolution because it's only three weeks, which is normally how long it takes for us to drop our resolution, right? So if you say for three weeks, I'm going to come to 21 days of prayer when I can. I'm going to do some kind of a fast. The Daniel fast is a great fast in in a sentence, in a phrase. Uh, the Daniel Fest is no meats, no sweets. There's a lot, little bit more to it than that, uh, but that's the, the Daniel Fest. And you'll feel better after that too, by the way. But just make it a New Year's resolution to be part of 21 Days of Prayer, Monday through Friday, 6.30 p.m., Saturdays at 9 o'clock. Simple, simple. Um, but then the other thing I'm going to challenge us to do is to take on what the Bible calls the mind of Christ, Take on the mind of God. God, give us a new mind. Uh, let me explain. I don't mean a new brain. Uh, there's a lot of people with just intelligence and dynamic brains, but they need new minds. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? It, it's not about a brain. It's about our mind. It's about our attitudes, our desires, our will, our basic orientation, our bent, our thought patterns, our moods. The mind of Christ, and some translations in Scripture call it the attitude of Christ. But let me just read a couple of verses to you out of Romans chapter 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to the, this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Well, right there, we're talking about a prophetic conference. You want to know how to hear God? Let God renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a a Christian neurologist, and uh, she wrote a book a few years ago called Turn On Your Brain. That would be a cool t-shirt, right? Turn On Your Brain, depending on who you're with. Okay, anyways. Uh, the book's called Turn On Your Brain, and, uh, and she writes about something called the Toxic Thought Tree. So if you're into science, you should totally check out her materials. It's really good. But she explains how our minds actually create actual physical pathways to facilitate our own thought patterns. She says that uh, a happy thought, when looked at in an MRI, looks like a full, lush tree. Isn't that amazing? Uh, She also further explains that a toxic thought looks like a thorny, lifeless tree. Isn't this amazing? This is a neurologist explaining that when you look at a person's brain under an MRI, good thoughts manifest inside, physically, in their brain differently than negative thoughts. Right, so it's actually quite literal when Jesus, or when Paul says in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's actually quite a literal command from Scripture is to let your mind be renewed because our thought patterns are like divots in the road. 
It's like, um, you know, when you look on an old road and you kind of see the dips where the tires have been and the cars have been driving quite a bit or back in the old days when it's a horse and carriage and they've got these big divots in the road because that's the way everybody goes all the time and it's set. You try to veer off those divots, a lot of times it doesn't go well and that's kind of how our thoughts are. And she's explaining this, that our toxic thoughts are, are, are... Toxic to our mind. Thoughts like anger, thoughts like depression, thoughts that are selfish. Um, But she also says, and this is what I love about it, is that we can willfully, as an act of our will, change the physical makeup of our mind. We can do that, right? Of course, going back to the road example, you can resurface a road and all those kinds of things. But in our minds, we can reset the tracks. We can reset the thought patterns. Um, just like a muscle, our minds can be trained to be different, operate differently. And therefore, our entire bodies and our lives are different. So the question becomes, what do we want our minds to look like? Well, I want to have the mind of Christ, right? Right? In 2024, of course, today, in the last day, 2023, I want to have the mind of Christ. What does that look like? Well, turn to Philippians chapter 2, or open up your app. Philippians chapter 2, and verse 5, it says, To have the mind that is of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality God with God as something to be exploited or grasped, grasped in some of your Translations. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. So he was 100% human. He had set aside his deity, so to speak. But that's, he was also fully God. But he did not hold on to the privileges and all the things that came with being God. He was... A man just like you and me, a human being just like you and me. Listen, just as a side note, this doctrine, this belief that he was fully man and fully human, fully God and fully human, is essential to our Christian faith. There's a lot of people that would argue that, yeah, he was present on earth in a physical body, but he still was... um, had all of his God powers. Let me just illustrate it for a minute. According to that belief that he he was more God than man, the fact that he led a sinless life is less remarkable because he had an advantage that we don't. And that's simply not true. He was a full human being. He faced every temptation we faced. He had to battle negative thoughts. He had to battle depression. The Bible called him a man of sorrows. It says uh, in the Gethsemane he was crushed with sorrows. He had to battle that. He had to battle everything that we have to battle as a human being. He felt the cross just like a human being. When I was younger, I thought he used supernatural anesthetic, right? Yeah, I could do this because I'm God and I don't have to feel this. He didn't do that. He felt every bit of it and then more than we can actually understand because he was taking on the weight of all the sin in all the world for all time. All in that moment, he was fully man and fully God. And it says here in Philippians that he did not consider equality with God something to be used, exploited, grasped. Right? Even though he was equal. 
Another word for grasp is clutched onto at all costs. So if we're going to be like Christ, if we're going to take on the mind of Christ, this is going to maybe cause some of you to wince a little bit. Just, hey, this is, this is the word of God. Jesus refused to selfishly cling to his favored position as the divine son of God or view it as a prized possession to be used for himself. He let go of his rights. Right? His rights to material, his rights to grudges, his rights to his privileges. He let go of his rights. What holds more people back from being like Jesus, walking in victory and overcoming like Jesus, is the notion that I have a right. And I know what I'm saying is, is probably uh, uncomfortable because we do, as American citizens, we've got rights. And we've got to fight for those rights. Don't misunderstand me. But not at the cost of showing people who Jesus is. Amen. Not at that cost. And if you've got a problem with that, then you've got a problem with Jesus. Because Jesus gave up his rights. I had a friend in high school... Uh, and this is before I had my license, so we rode the bus, and, and, um, and this young lady uh, gave her heart to Jesus. We had, there were about four or five of us on the bus that just kind of like had a little Bible study every day on the bus. And this girl overheard it, and she became a part of it, and she was so excited. And we went out and got her a Bible, and we gave it to her and put her name in it and all that kind of stuff. And it was about a week or two later, she came in the bus, and she was just like, you could tell, like, it was like death on her face. And you're like, what in the world? And so he said, what's, I said, what's wrong? And she said, she opened her Bible to the part where it says that if you don't forgive others, Jesus won't forgive you. He can't. And she just said, is this true? I said, yeah, it's true. It's the Bible. It's true. She closed the Bible, handed it back to me. She said, I don't want it. I said, okay. She said, if you knew what my dad did to me and my sister... You would understand, Jesus would understand that I have every right never to forgive him. I have every right to hold a grudge. And it's heartbreaking, and I wish I could tell you she turned around. Maybe she has since then. But it was that sentence, I have a right. I have a right to hold a grudge. I have a right to judge that person. I have a right to withhold blessing. I have a right not to go out of my way for them. I have a right to do these things because they don't deserve it and I don't have to do it. I have a right. I have a right to lock out family members because of what they did to me. I have every right to do what it is I'm doing. I have every right to cheat on my taxes because look what they're doing with my money anyway. <laughs> I have a right. Jesus gave up his rights. And if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, my mind can't be orientated to, to first think about what is my right. It has to be thinking about what Jesus thought about. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Well, I have a right not to serve. No, you don't. No person is greater than his master. He was a servant. We need to be a servant. We put on servanthood like Jesus did. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, it says this. An expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What's written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, what are you saying, Jesus? Who am I supposed to take care of? Everybody? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Now, a priest and a Levite, these are religious leaders. These are worship leaders that are avoiding this. But a Samaritan on his journey came upon him. Samaritans are not good people to the Jewish people. But a Samaritan on his journey came to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. The Samaritan had compassion, right? In verse 27, what's the most important mandate we have as Christ followers? What other things do we do? make more important than this, it's compassion. Who is my neighbor? Most people would define their neighbor as those who are like themselves, right? And Jesus goes the distance to teach us that our neighbor means far more than those we are comfortable with and identify with. When we serve the neighbor that Jesus calls our neighbor, there actually probably will be a tension. You look at the Samaritan here, and this is a parable, but a Samaritan helping a Jewish person, that would have been uncomfortable. That was a risk for the Samaritan. It was, there was tension there. And this is, this is what Jesus says. It looks like when you serve your neighbor, when you have the mind of Christ, you step out of your comfort zone and you understand this. In Christ, in the Holy Spirit, the tension is a good thing. How can we see man-made boundaries removed? How can we make it a habit to be uncomfortable? They had to be in the, in, they had to have so much tension in that moment. But the Samaritan moved past that because he only saw in that moment, he, he didn't see a Jewish person. He didn't see the, the man-made boundaries. He only saw another human being who had need and he had compassion. And the main point of Jesus' parable is about compassion. Say compassion. Compassion, compassion that's not driven it's not driven by the worth of the recipient, but by the need. It's not driven by the worth of the recipient. And before you, you trip on that, remember, this is the mind of Christ. And he gave his life. And he blesses you not based on your worth but based on your need. And the more you live life and the more you understand that and the more you experience it, hopefully the easier it becomes to have that kind of compassion for people.
And he says, now you go and do likewise. That literal translation of that is do and keep doing. See, a lot of times we look at things, acts of kindness and all those things as a box to check. And I did the thing. You know, if you, if you uh, have any uh, familiarity with the Catholic Church, you have the sacraments. You got to check certain boxes so you can make it to heaven. Compassion and showing compassion and serving others is not a box to check. It's something to do and keep doing. It's something to build your whole life around. It's something to always be a lifestyle And remember that Jesus looked at you and he looks at me with compassion. He came to serve you and he came to serve me. He came not to be served, but to serve. And if we are to be like Jesus, we have to have the same mindset with every situation that we walk into in in, uh, in 2024 and for the rest of our lives. When we come somewhere, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm going to give you a few truths. An unchangeable truth is this. Serving others is the expected norm if you're a Christian. Normal Christians serve other people. That's it. If you're a Christ follower, you're following Jesus, you will, people will see you serve people. And you might say, just like the guy said in the, in the, parable, in the verse, who's my neighbor? This is the best definition I can give you. I heard, I don't remember who, uh, who said it, but anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position to meet. That's your neighbor. Anybody whose need you see that you're in a, uh, in a position to meet that need. And that brings me to the next truth. And this is an uncomfortable truth. What is my responsibility to my neighbor? The same as your responsibility to yourself. (laughs) Love your neighbor as? What's my responsibility to my neighbor? The same as my responsibility to myself. That is, I I, I put it down in here. It's an uncomfortable truth. Because what, what sort of inconveniences, what sort of... What sort of backwards things could happen if I fully embraced that? A few weeks ago, I showed a clip of uh, Jordan Peterson coming to the realization that he believes in Jesus. And he says, this is terrifying. I don't know what someone could do if they actually believe this. What could we do as a church if we, each individually, collectively, started to embrace what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And we said, my responsibility to you is the same as my responsibility to me. Right? And an act of kindness done in God's name, doing something like that, goes the distance, far beyond a cute prepackaged opportunity to do something small and spontaneous, but to actually serve others every day when they're not expecting it, driven by compassion that has no strings attached. None. Driven by need and not perceived worthiness. And here's another uncomfortable truth. Godly compassion is for everyone, even those who aren't like us and we don't think deserve it. I think it'll be um, surprising someday when we make it to heaven and we see who's there. (laughs) Right? It would be surprising. And it'll be surprising also 
to see who's not there. <laughs> Fortunately, because it's heaven, we won't miss them much. <laughs> sobering truth, funny but sobering. It's for everyone, everywhere. Go and do the same for everyone, everywhere. Jesus gave a, us a good rule and thumb on how to do this. It's called the golden rule. Anybody know what the golden rule is? <laughs> do to others as you would have them do to you, Luke 6, 31. Do you realize that Jesus actually was not the first to say something like this? There's people all throughout history who've said something like this, and a lot of times people like to say, oh, Jesus copied them. No, 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 no. Let's look at what others said. 500 years before Jesus, Confucius said, do not do unto others what you would not wish done to yourself. The Buddhists, probably predating Jesus, also said, putting oneself in the place of others, kill not, nor cause to kill. In the Old Testament Apocrypha, in the book of Tobit, it says, do not do to anyone what you yourself hate. These are all good. Rabbi Hillel in 20 BC, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, and the rest is only commentary. Now, all of these authorities predate Jesus, and if we don't look really closely at them, most people would think they said what Jesus said. But that's where most people would be wrong. Look again at what they're saying. And this is... This is going to lead right into what, what the mind of Christ says. Confucius said, do not do to others. The Buddhist said, kill not. Tobit said, do not do to anyone what you'd hate. Rabbi said, don't do hateful things. But notice how Jesus differed from all these great philosophers and teachers. They said, don't. Jesus said, do. Do you see the difference? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. On the one hand, you're avoiding doing evil, and that's all good and, and, and well. But you'll find out, by the way, in this life, if your whole life and your whole life in Christ is avoiding evil, and that's all there is to it, you're going to fail over and over and over again. But if you take Jesus' words here, and instead of avoiding evil, start doing good and looking for ways to do good, you will transform your mind, and you won't wrestle with the evil very much anymore. That's why it's so proactive, right? There's a significant difference between God's concept of kindness and the world's, right? It's indiscriminate and it's proactive. The best humanity could come up with without God is to avoid evil. Jesus' way is not only avoiding evil, but to look for good, to look for people to do good for them, to look for ways to do good for people, not based on merit, but based on need. Jesus doesn't save you and I, doesn't bless you and I because we deserve it. Amen? Years ago, I was helping at a food bank with our youth ministry in Bloomington. And uh, it's similar to our food pantry here in some ways. Uh, people would go through and, and get what they need, and then we would help carry the food out to their car in the parking lot. And depending on the size of the family, uh, 
they, some would get more or less, some would get two turkeys. Some, I mean, it was a really great food bank. You know, it was people were really getting everything they needed. And there was this one gentleman that came through and he was getting two turkeys. He was getting two of everything. So there were like four bags. And so I had this student with me and we walked it out to his corner and he opened the trunk of his car for us to put those in the trunk and there was no room for us to put them in there because first he had to move um, all the cartons of cigarettes and the uh, cases of beer out of the way so we could make place for the free turkeys that we were giving him. And boy, I got to tell you, I was mad when I saw that. I was like, let's turn around and take these groceries right back. This guy doesn't deserve it. He totally could have everything he needs as if, if he's not blowing his entire paycheck on beer and cigarettes. Probably some lottery tickets somewhere too, right? So he could buy more beer and cigarettes. He didn't deserve it. There was no merit there. But we put the groceries in the trunk and we closed the trunk. And when we closed the trunk, I saw sitting in the back seat four little kids. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit used that moment to remind me this is not about what he deserves or anything like that. This is about the need. And I did this so that that need would be met, not because of him, but because of me. He didn't deserve the help, but he needed it. And hopefully, hopefully, perhaps even today, that act of God taking care of him in times when he didn't deserve it has culminated in him coming to faith in Christ because that's how it works. People will at some point in their life look back and maybe you will at some point in your life look back. Right now you can't see it, but you'll look back someday and you'll see here and there the evidence of the hand of God on your life even when you didn't even know. And hopefully he's gotten to that point. I heard this story about an evangelist that when he was a boy, he came home and he found his mother sitting at a table with an old, says an old, the story says an old tramp. It's a, it's a guy sitting there with a guy he didn't know. Apparently she went shopping and met the guy along the way and invited him home for a warm meal. That right there. Invite some stranger over for a meal. Could you imagine? Oh, pastor, but the danger. Oh, but my God, my God will work out his plans. During the conversation, the guy said, I wish there were more people like you in the world. Where his mother then said, oh, there are, but you got to look for them. The man simply shook his head saying, but lady, I didn't need to look for you. You looked for me. The world figures kindness is just going about your business and not hurting anybody. But God's kindness, the mind of Christ, the mind of Jesus is to go looking for people and looking for their need and filling that need. And before we get too, too defensive saying that's too much to ask, that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. And when we do it, and some of you already know this, when we do that, when we make our aim, we make our goal, when we put on the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, and we serve others, and we go out of our way and we search them out, you know and I know, it feels good. Why? Because that's when we are coming in alignment with who God created us to be. 
That's when we are coming into alignment to be like our Father, to bear the resemblance of the image of God. It says he made us in his image. And this world and the forces in this world work hard to distort that image. And it's subtle sometimes. We don't even understand it. But that's why the call today and the call this year is to let's, get, let's go back and let's put on the mind of Christ and let's get radical about it because our enemy's radical, right? This uncomfortable truth, God's kindness through us is active all the time. We're the gatekeepers. We're the only ones standing in the way of God's kindness and power working through our lives. We watched this movie this week. I don't know if any of you heard of it. Uh, I would warn you, it's heavy, but it's eye-opening. The movie was called Nefarious. And there's a gentleman in the movie who's he's basically, he's possessed by a devil, by a demon. And the movie portrays him to be absolutely helpless. And the demon even explains how that's possible. And it's, it's, it's eye-opening. I will tell you, as a pastor and someone who's been in the book for decades now, it was a pretty accurate depiction of how our enemy works. But what really was unsettling to me, and we talked about this after watching it, was you watch this man, at the end of the movie, this man was on death row, and at the end of the movie, you watch him get executed, and he's crying, and the demon basically in this movie leaves his body and leaves the man himself that he was in, inhabiting, the, he leaves the man to suffer the consequences. And I'm watching that, and I'm going, do I believe a person can get to a point where there is no hope? We had a deep spiritual conversation that night. I do think the Apostle Paul says there's a point in our life that when we say no to God so much, we get calloused and it becomes that much harder. But do I believe if I've ever encountered a, a man like that, and this is what was upset me about the movie is, is the man who was interviewing him and like, if I were that man, would I have not only the boldness, but would the power of God be readily available in me to set that man free. I think we all like to think that, right? We want to have the power of God to see healing and to see, you know, see deliverance and all those things. And God does those things. He does. But if all we look for is that, but we're not willing to let the power of God be at work within us to be inconvenienced at work for that person that doesn't deserve it. Don't think for a minute he's gonna do something like that through you. Because you're denying the power of God when you deny doing those things. How can I expect the power of God to flow through my life to set free a captive who's demon possessed if I don't let the power of God in my life invite a stranger in for a meal. We want that kind of power, right? Are you letting that power rule your life? Is that kind of authority in your life and the decisions you make and the priorities you have? Do you understand what I'm saying? All the things we wanna see, we're the gatekeepers. And the key is to put on the mind and the attitude 
of Christ. And that's not easy to do. But perhaps the easiest way is to remember that he did it for you. He came to earth. He lived a human life. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He became obedient to death, even on a cross. And the Bible says he did all those things while we were still sinners. I love that verse in Romans, that while we were still sinners, while we were in the act of being an enemy of God, he laid his life down for us. He did that for us. Next time you say, why do you want me, why do you want me to be nice to that person? God, they're not nice to me. Well, he was really nice to you when you weren't really nice to him. While we were still sinners, he resurrected and he's giving us eternal life and the opportunity when we put on his mind to make this life count for something. But it only counts when we put on the mind of Christ to give ourselves away the way he gave himself up for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for living a human life. Thank you that you did not grasp to your own rights, but you submitted to sin and death. You didn't sin, but you submitted to the penalty for our sin and death, setting us free. Thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray every one of us comes to a saving knowledge and, and a choice to believe that because you said if we believe in our hearts and we declare with our mouths, we will be saved. And I pray for that for everyone here. But Lord, that's not the end. That decision is the beginning of something amazing in this life and in this world. You want us to put on your mind and your attitude and you're calling us to do that. You're calling everyone here to renew that commitment or to make that commitment for the first time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd uncover with your grace and mercy in a graceful way, you'd uncover selfishness in every one of our hearts. You would shed light on the things and the needs that we could meet and that we as the gatekeepers would say, yes, Lord. With your eyes closed for just a moment, say, Pastor, I really haven't chosen yet fully with my own heart to believe what you're saying about Jesus. I know about it. I've heard about it. I know people who know about it. I know people who believe it. But I haven't decided to believe that Jesus came and he died and he resurrected and he did it for me. You say, today, I want to put my faith in him. I want to believe that in my heart. You say, that's me, pastor. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Let me know. What a great way to end a year. The best time is now, the best place is here. Anyone? All right. Is there anyone here this morning who would say, whether you've done good at this in the past or poorly, you'd say, Pastor, you're right. This is uncomfortable for me to think about, but I wanna put on the mind of Christ. My thinking is broken, but I wanna allow the Holy Spirit to help me transform my mind and to change so that I'm looking for good to do for people. So not, not so I could pat myself on the back, but so they can see Jesus. I wanna make a commitment. I wanna renew my commitment to that this morning. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand if that's you? Amen. I wanna to commit to put on the mind of Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. 
Let's stand together. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing that song again. I told you, spoiler alert, we're going to sing I Speak Jesus. I will tell you this right now. You want to put on the mind of Christ? Speak Jesus over your mind. That's it. Speak Jesus over your mind. Everything else in this world is shouting at you to destroy that, to distort that, to discourage you, to take you off course. But the name of Jesus dispels those things the more you declare it and the more you walk in his power. And so what I want you to do this morning is when I'm done, I'm just going to stand here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship Jesus and I'm going to be speaking those words over my mind. And I'm going to ask you to join me. You were encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.